0: Would you please turn your Bibles to John chapter 15? John chapter 15. One of the most painful things for any preacher or pastor is that people sing so well, everybody dances, and then as soon as it gets to the preaching of the Word, people start falling asleep. And then you start wondering from the front, is it that I'm boring or they are tired? (laughs) Whichever way, I will not be offended if sleep overcomes you. But may the Lord keep you attentive as we listen to his word together. We're going through the series of how to change. Becoming like Jesus the Christ. And I said in some introductory video that we did that at the end of the day, Christianity is all about change. Now, when I say change, then we begin to think of self-improvement. So let me change the word change. Christianity is all about transformation, complete transformation, which is becoming like Jesus. When the Lord gave his... um, command to the first couple, be fruitful and multiply. Let the world be filled with people of your kind, people who are created in the image of God. And then the fall happened and everything was spoiled. The image of God was spoiled in them somehow. And now in Jesus, the image of the invisible God, we are told in Colossians, this image bearers is Restored and being restored in Jesus. And so we are called to become like Jesus every day. It is done and then it's a process. Now, we won't see all that this morning. But please travel with me as we look at this. And many times I've had many Christians argue over, over whether... You know, Christians are not being holy enough. Christians are not being sanctified enough. And what is really going on? We need to challenge. We need to do this. We need to say that to people. So that people will live their Christian life out and so on and so forth. And then sometimes it even degenerates. I will call it degenerate into the issue of grace and works. And somehow, we try to put them against each other. You must have this and you must have that. Uh, Have some grace, yes, but have some works too, so that we balance it. There's nothing like balance in the way God has done his things, we will see in a moment. And I believe that sometimes, in our attempt to talk of these things, we take our eyes off the main thing. We take our eyes off the important thing our body and soul begins to focus on an outcome rather than the roots of where our mind should be. Christ himself and what he has done for us. It is from there that the Christian life flows. So I want us to spend a bit of time in John chapter 15. In John chapter 15, this is what is going on. I'm going to try to summarize. This is what is going on. The Lord Jesus is about to die. And so when you look at it from chapter 13, 14, and so on and so forth, and then in chapter 17, he will pray for his disciples in front of them and all who will become Christians after them. And what he is telling them is this. The kingdom of God is already come, but it is not yet full amongst you. So you are Christians, but you have not been perfected yet. And in actual fact, in this world as Christians, it is going to be hard. There's going to be pressure. There's going to be pressure because whether or not you like it, the world system as you see it doesn't love Jesus. When have you actually heard that somebody who is a preacher of the gospel, a Billy Graham or somebody, received a Nobel Peace Prize? That is not what we are concerned about. And anytime you mention the Lord Jesus' name about something to do with faith and so on, they say, be scientific. We don't want this sort of talk here. The world doesn't welcome Jesus. And so he tells them, because the world doesn't welcome me, if you bear my name, the world won't welcome you. And some of you will see it where you work. And the temptation to hide and not to be too overtly Christian will be there. And some of the things he says to them is this, like chapter 15 and verse 3. He says to them that you are already clean. The people who are sitting in front of him, he says, you are already clean. Because of the word that I have spoken to you and you have received it by faith, you are already clean. And yet, when he gets to chapter 17, people who are already clean... He prays to the Father and He says to the Father, Would you please keep them? Would you please sanctify them in the truth? They're already clean. you already sanctified. But sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And then He tells them again in chapter 17 His prayer. He says, I have made your name known to them. And I will continue to make it known to them. There is the known will continue to make it known. It is already finished, but it is not complete. It is not complete. And our experience as Christians will tell us that. And so he's explaining to them his departure. I'm about to go into heaven. I will die. I'll be raised and eventually I'll stay with you for some days and I will go into heaven. But this time that you find yourself, disciples, listen, this time is going to be a waiting time for you. The Christian life is a waiting life. The Lord Jesus was here. He has returned. Now we are waiting for His return. We are in exile, if you like. Other uh, other parts of the Scripture will put it that way. We are waiting. We are in the waiting season. It may feel hard, but actually it is good (laughs) that we find ourselves here because He says, I'm not going to leave you often. The Holy Spirit will be working amongst you. And as I said earlier, this waiting life, this waiting season is going to be difficult and full of pressure. The question is, how should we live in this waiting season? How should we live as people that he says... You are clean already because of the word I have spoken to you and you have responded to it in faith. You are clean already. So how should we wait? What should we do whilst we wait? And then listen, he wants them to understand this. He wants them to understand that salvation is this. Guys, he says, listen to me. Salvation in this. When you claim that you have been saved, it is this. By faith in the word that I have spoken to you and what you have seen in me, because you have trusted in me as Lord and Savior. Spiritually, this is what goes on. The Holy Spirit takes your life and then unites that with that of Jesus. That is salvation. So that... When Jesus died, because the wages of sin is death, you paid for your sin, as it were. He paid for it. But it is as if you paid for it in your union with him in his death. You are dead and buried. Old person died, buried. And then Jesus was raised from the dead. Because by faith in him, because you trust in everything that he says about himself and his work on the cross with his life, with his resurrection. When he was raised from the dead, because the Holy Spirit has united your life with Jesus, you were raised to a new life. That is Christianity. That is what it means to be a Christian. Died with Christ, raised with him. And so by the power of the Holy Spirit, this is what is happening. This is what has happened. In Christ alone, are we, and by faith in him alone, are we put right with God? That is what we said last week. You're justified. That is, God sees you as he sees the Lord Jesus, to start with. That's how God accepts us. But it is not only justification, that word that we use. It's also sanctification. That is, God has set you apart for himself in Jesus, that you belong to me. You are mine. I have set you to the side from all the world to belong to me. That's what he did with Israel. He set them apart from all the nations to himself. By Christ's death and his resurrection. So salvation is when you are put right with God, when he sanctifies you, he sets you apart, he purifies you. Otherwise you can't come to God. If he doesn't purify you, you can't approach him. You know the Old Testament story. If God doesn't purify you, you cannot purify yourself enough to approach him. You will die. I will die. So he puts you right. He sanctifies you. And then in the end, when Christ returns, he will glorify us. We will become like Jesus. When we see him, we will be as he is. Now we can physically approach God as he is seated on his throne. And so what he tells them is this, in this waiting time, what do you do? What must we do? He says to them, remain in Jesus. I will explain that in a minute. Abide, other versions of the Bible says, abide in Christ. He tells them, abide in me. Abide in me. Why should we remain in Jesus? Why shouldn't we become Christian, trust him, and then we wander off onto something else? And focus the attention on ourselves and our own self-efforts, which fails from time to time. And most of the time, if we will be honest, why should we remain in him? Because he tells us in verse 1, this is why you are to remain in him, because I am the true vine. John chapter 15, verse 1, I am the true vine. Now, if you say that you are the true vine, you are suggesting that somebody is a false vine. I am the true vine, Jesus says. So who is the false vine? The false vine, in this case, the failed vine, is Israel of old. Psalm eighty, verse eight to ten, verse eight to eleven. Please let me read for you. You transplanted a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it, and took its root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. Its branches reached as far as the sea, its shoots as far as the river. He's talking about Israel. But instead of good fruits, there were bad ones in the vine. Isaiah would also say in Isaiah 5, just just please listen, don't turn to it. I will sing for the one I love. A song about his vineyard. My beloved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with a choicest vine. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a winepress as well. He looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruits. A vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel. Verse 7 of Isaiah 5. And the people of Judah are the vines. He delighted in. He looked for justice, but he saw bloodshed for righteousness, but he heard cries of distress. Israel had failed to bear the fruits, the people of God. God had called them to bear among the nations. And Jesus, by saying that I am the true vine, he's saying, I am the vine that truly bore the fruits that God wants. I am he. I am the fulfillment of Israel. I am the true Israel, he says. I am the true vine. So what is he saying? What he's saying is this. I am fruitful. Jesus says, unlike Israel, if you remain in that and not in me, you will not be fruitful because I am fruitful. God is pleased with me. As it was of old, my father is the vine dresser. My father is passionately concerned about the fruitfulness of his people. Listen to this. He says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, verse 2, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Can there be a branch that is really truly in him and doesn't bear fruit? And he explains that in verse 6. He says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. So he is not actually saying that there is a true abiding in him that doesn't result in fruitfulness. There are some branches that appear to be in him, but are actually not in him. Verse 6 again, if anyone does not abide in me, it can be around me. There can be a situation where people are in church, and Hebrews talks about that later. People are in church, they can enjoy everything, they have the knowledge, they have everything, but they are not really depending on the vine. They are not trusting in the vine. They are not rooted in the vine. They are not drawing from the vine. They're drawing from their own self-made religion. You know an example of that within Jesus' own 12? It was Judas. Judas had walked with them (laughs) at least three years. And the Lord Jesus, when you read from chapter 13 right through to 17, you see how the Lord Jesus talks about Judas. Judas had been there. He was, you can't say, the treasurer of the missionary band. We are told that he kept the money back. Anytime they had money, they put it in Judas. You keep the money. And we are told he was helping himself from time to time. Now, it wasn't so much the helping himself that the helping himself with the money without asking for it was actually a symptom of a deeper problem. He wasn't really trusting in Jesus. He wasn't really cherishing Jesus and everything that he had taught them. How do we know this? Mary had come to pour out this expensive oil at the feet of Jesus and then use her hair to wipe it. Mary was treasuring jesus and then judas stood there and said ah you are wasting the oil we could have sold this oil and then give the money to the poor to the poor indeed and then john explains that he didn't mean it he actually had been helping himself so if we sold it and put the money in the money bag that was money for me now judas was there but was not really abiding And his life was evidence of that. There wasn't fruit in him. Branches can hang on the tree and still produce no fruits. You just cut it off. You just remove it. You are not drawing from it. There is no ongoing repentance and faith towards Jesus. And then, let's come home. There is the branch that abides in the vine. There too, you realize that the branch that does not bear fruit, that appears to be around the branch, is just attached to it, is cut. And the branch that bears fruit too is also cut. He prunes. That word for prune makes, means clean. He makes clean. It's not just the cutting. The branch that bears fruit, because they truly abide in Jesus, the Father makes even cleaner. He prunes that it may be fruitful. He prunes because, he cuts because he loves. He loves. It is a love cut. Anytime the father cuts and prunes and cleans, through whatever circumstance, it is a love cut. It is for them so that they will be fruitful. Here is what I'm trying to say with all this meandering. Fruitfulness. Fruitfulness call it holiness. In fact, fruitfulness in John 15 is bigger than just the fruit of the spirit. It is in, it includes that, but it's actually missions. It is bringing other fruits in. It is it is that big. You see Jesus himself is the true vine who is fruitful, and you can tell by the people he had reconciled to God. And he will reconcile to God, he's fruitful. And he calls the branches in him to also be fruitful. In, 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 ter- in terms of bringing people in, but it includes the fruit of the ho- Spirit. It, it's holistic. Fruitfulness in the Christian life is guaranteed if and only if believers will remain in Jesus. The real question is, oftentimes we run to, are you being fruitful? Are you being fruitful? Are you being holy. Are you being whatever? Can I say that? Let's go to a question before that question. Are you abiding in Jesus? Because it is only by abiding in Him on a daily basis, which I'll say something about this abiding, that there will be fruit. If there is no abiding, there is no fruit, at least not the fruit that God requires. Remaining depending on Jesus every day for every aspect of our lives is the only way We will see God's fruits in our lives. What is this abiding? What does he mean by remaining? In fact, it's a love language. It's a marriage language. I know, somebody's like, how is it a love language? All right. Verse 4 and verse 5. Abide in me and I in you. How can that work? You remain in me and I remain in you. He's talking about we are so intimately connected. So you abide in me, I abide in you. There is mutual indwelling. We, are, we, we indwell each other. And I know why I said it's a love marriage language. Let the listener understand. So he says, you take residence in me, I take residence in you. We are in union as one. The branch, we, the branch who trust in Jesus, we indwell the vine by faith. The Spirit enables us to. And then the vine indwells us by grace as we come to Him, to His Word. And then the Father is working, the vine dresser, He's working by His Spirit to make us even more fruitful. So if you ask the question, my brothers and sisters, if you ask the question, how can I grow in holiness, or how can I be Christ-like, or how can I be fruitful, the answer is simple if you forget everything. Abide in Jesus every day. Remain in Him. Now let's ask a very practical question. How can I abide in Christ since I cannot see Him physically? How does that look like? And then Jesus answers that question. I love the Lord Jesus because he always anticipates our questions. Verse 7 says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever we wish. Let's not go to ask whatever we wish for now. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. So how can I abide in you, Lord Jesus? He says, let my words abide in you. Now, this is what it means. This changes the way we approach quiet time, reading your Bible and praying. We do not have our quiet time as a tick-box thing to make us feel, Today, I've had my quiet time. I feel good. Well, it will make you feel good, but that is not why. The reason we come to God's Word is, is that God's Word is a means to an end. In God's Word, we encounter the end, Jesus. God's Word is supposed to reveal God to us in Christ. At the heart of the Bible is God's work in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and the hope of his return and what that means for all of life. So when I'm coming to have my quiet time, my heart desires to be, Lord, I want to encounter Jesus in a fresh new way. It doesn't matter if you have read the passage a gazillion number of times. Lord, I have read Psalm 23 since I was a child. May I encounter Jesus in a fresh new way. Quiet time moves away from religious exercise to a means of knowing him and letting his word abide in me. What does he mean again by saying, let my words abide in you? He's saying this. He could have said that, let the word of God abide in you. And he says, and my words abide in you. That is intentional. It is intentional because later Paul would take this same thing and explain it to the church in Colossians. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admon- admonishing. One another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns with spiritual songs and thankfulness in your heart to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, listen, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Why do you think he says, in the name of the Lord Jesus? Giving thanks to God. What he is saying is this. As the word of Christ dwells in us richly, it changes everything that we do. Everything that we do in Christ in the name of the Lord Jesus. The word of Christ is actually the gospel, which I continue to emphasize that it is not just the message to non-Christians to become Christians. It's the message that is focusing on Jesus and everything that he says about himself and the Bible, both Old and New Testament, says about him. And everything that he has done for us, treasuring it, reading it, praying it, letting it fill my soul and my body because it is going to change everything about me. I have been sanctified by my union with Jesus. Now I have to live out the benefits of that sanctification. That's why sanctification is also a process. But we'll come there later. In the Bible, you remember that the leper, when you read and you see somebody with leprosy. Leprosy. Now they can walk about, I mean, Kaneshi Bridge, you see a number of them. But, in the Bible time, the story of the Bible, don't let a leper come near you. When you touch them or they touch you, you are unclean. And then there was a leper whom Jesus touches. And what happens? What happened? Oh, Yanum. Yeah, what happened when Jesus touched the leper? The, the, the rule is that if a leper touches you, you become unclean. And then Jesus encounters a, le- a, a person with leprosy, touches the person, and what happened to the person? The person becomes clean. Jesus makes all who come to him by faith. And he touches them, and the Holy Spirit unites them with him. He makes them clean. Now the Christian life becomes a life of living out these benefits of cleanness. That is why unholy life, let me put it that way, is so inconsistent with who we are in Christ. It's another matter. So let's try to finish off. The point is this. We all desire, and it's a good desire, we all desire to be fruitful, and we desire to be holy. I hope you desire that if you're a Christian. We, de- we desire to grow in holiness. But there cannot be any form of fruitfulness or growth in fruitfulness or holiness or sanctification in the life of anyone, in the life of any Christian before God. Not before people, not just before people, before God, unless you are totally and completely, on a daily basis, dependent on Jesus. That is why the branch depends on the vine. Jesus is using biology and agriculture to explain this. If you cut off the branch and you say the branch hang in the air, use a rope to hold it, bear fruit by yourself. You will wait a thousand years and it will wither. But if the branch is truly, truly in the vine, the vine, the sap, the liquid, the nutrients in the vine will flow into the branch and the branch will begin to bear fruit. There will be no fruitfulness unless we, by the grace of God in the power of the Spirit, are totally dependent on God anytime we approach his word and say would you please take these words of Christ and drive it into my soul because I know that if I shift my attention and begin to focus on me and how well I'm doing and how much I have failed and I failed this one too and I beat myself down. Uh, don't, Don't glory in your failure but don't keep your attention on yourself look to Jesus, depend on him the Spirit will help you to overcome. He'll help you to be fruitful. And so the Lord says, abide. Jesus says, abide. Stay here. Remain in in me. Make your abode in me and let me make my residence, my abode in you. And so of all the things that he could say to his disciples in John's Gospel, when we know you're about to die and when you know you're about to go into heaven, he says to them, Listen to the number of times he uses the expression abide. Verse 4. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branch. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is it that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. Verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. Verse 7, if you abide in in me and my words abide in you. Verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Verse 16, you did not choose me. I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear much fruit. Fruits. That your fruit should abide. I know, I've repeated this many times and perhaps you are waiting for me to finish. Abide in Jesus. Come to his word with a completely different attitude. There are other means of abiding. We're not going there. Within John 15. But I want to focus us on this. Just abide. Just keep remaining. Just keep looking at Jesus. Just praying his word into our soul that it may change us. Let me ask you a question as I finish off. What is the state of your soul right now? What is the state of your soul? Where are you? How do you feel? In the Christian life, I mean, if you're a Christian, you have tried hard and it doesn't seem to be going well. You have tried, I have tried, I read my Bible, I pray, I do all kinds of things. I even go on evangelism. I don't seem to be making any progress, breaking certain habits, and so on and so forth. Can I suggest something to you? Would you please take your attention a little bit off yourself and come in a fresh new way with a fresh eyes, fresh attitude to look at God's Word and cherish what God has done for you in Jesus? And then ask God by His Spirit to pour on you all the benefits that are yours in Christ. Again, let me say to you, you cannot sanctify yourself. I cannot sanctify myself. God has sanctified me. He has to sanctify me. What you have to do, what I have to do, is to by faith in Jesus, come and throw myself every day on Him. It is by that that the Holy Spirit brings the blessing, the benefit of the sanctification we already have in Jesus because we are united with Him. It begins to work out in our lives. Please take your attention of yourself just a little bit. You will be discouraged. There is no Christian since the existence of the world who has kept the attention on themselves and has been happy in the Christian life. Those who rejoice are those who keep their focus on God and what he has done. And they appropriate it by the power of the Holy Spirit. Finally, do you realize that these I am sayings, ah, when Jesus says, I am the true vine, the, the, the expression I am, I am, that Jesus uses a lot, is actually from the Old Testament. He is not just introducing himself. He's making a statement, a divine statement about himself. So when he says in John 6, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. He's reminding them of the wilderness. That bread called the manna is satisfied, but for a time, I am the only one who's satisfied truly for all eternity. If you would come to me. I am the light of the world. When Israel was traveling through the wilderness and in the nights there was this pillar of fire that gave them light. That light will go off during the day and there is a pillar of cloud that protected them. Jesus is that light, that fulfillment who is there both day and night and dawn to guide his people through a very difficult world. And he says that I am the door or the gates. Truly, truly, I say to you, I'm the door to the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. And then he says again, I am the good shepherd. So all this I am saying, John 10, I am the good shepherd. David was very good at caring for his sheep. When there was a bear that attacked the sheep, he will go and by his hands attack the bear and defeat the bear for the sake of the sheep. Oh, David was such an imperfect shepherd who died, and sometimes he had to leave the sheep and attend to the brothers at the battlefield. But Jesus is the good shepherd who is always there. And then he says again, John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. No one can be reconciled to God except by me. Do you know that I am the true vine is the last of the I am sayings? What is he saying? All the I am's. This is the very last one. Why is it the last one? Because of this. All the benefits. All the benefits that are in Christ. Christ himself. And all the benefits of who He is and what He has done. You will never experience it unless you remain in Him. That is why He lives this at the end. I am the true vine. If you want to find light and life and bread, you have to remain in me. If you want to see fruit in your life, remain in me. Throw yourself on me. Before you zoom out, because you are running late for work each morning, why don't you just... Relax and say, Dear Lord Jesus, remind me of who you are. Remind me of what you have done. And let me trust in that. And let that affect every aspect of my life, including the way I relate with my annoying husband. Why annoying husband? That is what I believe the Lord wants us to hear today. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to hear about sanctification again. What it means for ongoing day-to-day life. What that looks like at work. What that looks like at home. This union with Christ and the benefits thereof. How we live it out. But please keep your mind on this. Because the temptation is that as soon as we begin, the nature of our heart will just shift gear and begin to trust in self-effort. We are called to effort. But that effort doesn't flow from our own strength. It flows from the Lord. Let me pray. Our Father, oh, this feels plenty. But I pray that you remove that which you don't want us to focus our attention on and set before us that which you want everyone here to fix our attention and our hearts on. Please help us to abide. And all that it means, help us to abide in Jesus. Help us to remain in Jesus. Help us to treasure Jesus. Help us to treasure the cross. Help us to build our confidence in this life in Jesus. Not in ourselves. Please, not in our efforts. Not in our religion. Not in our service. Not in anything. But only in the Lord Jesus. We beg you, Lord, heal our hearts that it may be cleansed to trust and to depend on as the branch depends on the vine for life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.